story that is, that is wrapped up inside of John chapter 11. But because of John chapter 11 verse 35, Tim, don't say it. Does anybody know what that scripture says? Oh, I got some Bible school. Y'all ready for Bible school? Who said that? Hawkins. Good for you. She read the notes before church. Shortest scripture in all the Bible. Jesus wept. Today at Advent, we're talking about love. Our theme is love. And how do we express the idea of how Christ come to love us except to take a moment and talk about how against all odds, Jesus steps in. And he steps into those moments when we need love the most. And those moments, one of those particular moments where every one of us goes through, no one is exempt from, is the moments of grief. And we hear a song this time of year every year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But for some people it isn't. It can be a very struggle time. It can be hard to see the light of the love of the Lord because of grief in our life. I wanted you to understand that I believe that in John chapter 11, the story of the resurrection of Lazarus, we can pull out, if you will, the importance of Christmas. Watch this for me. Let's, let's just do this. We'll move through this. John chapter 11. I'm, I'm just going to do uh, verse uh, 5 and 6 here to start with. And uh, we'll move through some things. Now, Jesus loved. Everybody say loved. He loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So Father, bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart in Jesus' name. And everyone said, I know no one in here is like me. You didn't all have to agree. It's easy to get distracted this time of year. It really is, right? Like, I mean, it, it, you can, you, you know, you can get super distracted this time. I mean, I love the gifts. I love the decorations. Come on, let's give our, our decorating team another hand for what they're doing. I love it. I don't, I don't like gaudy decorations, right? I like something that draws me in and, and keeps me there for a moment. I, I, I love the music, Right? My, my wife fancies a particular Christmas song every year. It plays on repeat at our house over and over and over again. She has a shirt that even says it, right? And I, I have no idea why this is a Christmas song but, or, or how it could ever happen. And, and in our almost 29 years of marriage, I've always tried to figure out how can I get this Christmas present for her just so she'll stop playing the silly song. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Like, who... Who wants a hippopotamus? Why is this a Christmas song? I'm, I kid you not, I'm leaving the house this morning. I go into our bathroom. My wife is in her closet because her little makeup thing is there and she's getting ready. And, and as I turn the corner to go in, I hear this song. I want a hip. It's playing on her phone. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Music, right? I'd love that if you'll take a moment during Christmas and really listen to the words of traditional Christmas hymns, it's the gospel. It's evangelism. If you're like me, Sometimes in the midst of getting distracted by the gifts and the decorations and, and silly little songs, Grandma got run over by the reindeer, or, or whatever it is, the reminder of why we celebrate is important. So, at the center of the fact of Christmas Advent is the, is, is the key thing to Christianity. It's the fundamental, foundational stone that Jesus was born. The God himself, God himself, born in a stable, grew up in a carpenter's house, walked down dirty roads. God 
himself got hungry and thirsty. That God himself chose to experience everything that we experience as humans. That is why we celebrate. That's why Christmas is important. And that's why this year, because of all the stories that we, were, we talked about. And, and as a team, we just, what is God speaking for Christmas? We just kept saying, you know, against all odds this year, God was with us. God moved sovereignty. God didn't hide himself this year in the middle of all of the struggle. God revealed himself more and more and more. Against all odds, God himself stepped in to our world. And that's what Christmas is. Christmas is a reminder that the God of the universe is involved. Come on, church. And I think it's very important for us to realize, to understand, and never forget that while doing that, he maintained his deity. That God himself can maintain his deity while embracing humanity. He's fully God, fully man. That is Christmas. Jesus stepping in. I am not real sure that we have fully vetted the implications of that statement. The almightiness of God moving through a human arm. Hello, somebody. The implications of God himself maintaining his deity while embracing humanity, while taking on flesh. The almightiness of God begins to move, not through the spoken word at a time, but even through the the extending of a human arm. That the love of God is now actually beating in a human heart. That the wisdom of God is now speaking from a human lip. That the mercy of God is reaching his hand out to touch people that no one else wants to touch. That the mercy of God is being extended to us through human hands is an incredible thought. Can I ask you a question? In our mind, in our thought process, why would it ever, ever, ever uh, be a thought to us that God being born in the flesh would cause him to be less than who he is? He did not become any less God, church. Christmas doesn't make God less than who he is. It actually expands on who he is because it demonstrates to us that God in his greatness has the ability to come intimately close to us in no other way other than taking human form. Jesus was God wrapped in the flesh. Jesus at Christmas is stepping into our world. Where, where, where do you need Jesus to step in? All of us. When we're hurting, when life's a wreck, it's easy to feel alone. And Christmas itself is the proof we need him to step in. And you're not alone in this place this morning. You're not alone listening this morning. You are not alone. I know that your grief can oftentimes make you feel alone. It has a way of isolating us and, and making us feel that we don't, we're not understood or no one can relate and, and no one can possibly know what's going on. But you have to understand that against all odds, God steps in by taking on human form, putting on human flesh to let us know that he wants to be acquainted with who we are. In these moments of struggle... Everyone in this room right now needs Jesus to step in somewhere. 
I'm a, I'm a realist, even though I believe uh, I'm, a, I'm a, a man of faith, and I want to be more of a man of faith tomorrow than I am today. I want to be able to believe God for things tomorrow that I couldn't believe Him for today. I want to continue to grow in, in my area of faith. But I also know that life has a way of causing loss. Come on. The whole reason we're telling the Gagne story this week is because of that. I'm not apologizing. For, me, for, for, for that story being real and raw. I mean, we should not have to apologize to say we just don't understand. Where was Jesus? And the Gagne's greatest moment of need. Where was Jesus in the grief of loss? First, the loss of Great joy at the news that a new baby girl was coming and that was stolen by a report. Come on, someone. And then the loss of the world around them saying, take the easy road. I remember sitting with them and sharing with them this, we walk through this very same question. But we have to always understand. Here's what I just by the Holy Spirit remember saying. We have to always understand that God always calls us to obedience and stewardship. God created Olivia the way he created her. He made no mistake. No mistake at all. And the way God created her was to live life inside of her mother's womb. Our job is to steward her the way God created her. Our goal as parents is that our children would be born, be loved, and end up in heaven. Why does it take 90 years to accomplish that goal? Because of our selfishness. In the end, that's the stewardship call of God. But the grief, even though we could embrace that truth, the grief was still there. Come on, church. Some things we lose aren't a big deal. Come on. I lost a button off my shirt. Some things in life that we lose just aren't a big deal. We just move on. Right? Life continues on. It's not, it's not that big of an issue. and We rarely think about it again. We feel kind of bad about it maybe, but we, we move on. Maybe your team didn't win the national championship. And you're sad about it for a minute or two. And unless you're Lisa Hawkins or Christy Munson. Then you've analyzed that thing to the end. I've often said that I would love to see a, a Christian sports radio program. Uh, what would lay out the details without all the politics and the stupidness. And just, you know, keep faith involved. But people could have somewhere if you love sports. And I would literally hire Christy and Lisa Hawkins to lead it. Because they know everything about every sport and every player you've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. There are losses in our life that can be debilitating. Come on, say amen. You know that. I know that. They can, they can paralyze us. The kind of loss that changes life in a way that, will, uh, that makes sure that you know and understand that life itself will never, ever be the same. That's a debilitating loss. That's something, right, that takes your breath away and robs your life and, and, and makes you kind of get to the place to go, where are you, Jesus, in this moment? Those are the kind of losses that leave us in deep grief and, and, and it can make us feel abandoned by God in those moments. 
And here's the reality of grief. We all fall into one of three spots. Either we have grieved, we are grieving, or we will grieve. The presence of God is never meant to be the absence of pain. I don't see it in the scripture. No matter who we are, we all deal with grief. All of us come face to face with a question that we see asked in chapter 11. It's an incredible thing. Verse 17 says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brothers. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met with him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you, Jesus? When I was hurting and my world was falling apart. You said you loved me, Jesus. Where were you? It's a legit question. She's not trying to be disrespectful. It's a legit question. These two sisters both asked Jesus the same question. If you'll look at verse 32 real quick. You'll see another point. Watch this. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had only been here, where were you, Jesus? Both of these sisters who we often focus on for the wrong reasons altogether, and we often just build messages or short little devotions or things out of this, that, and the other or whatever. But I I want to look at them this morning in a different way because they both are hurting. They're both dealing with grief. And, And they both ask Jesus the same questions at different times, which means to me that they didn't understand. See, the grief that struggles of this life cause always leave us asking this question. Where are you, Jesus? Why did this happen, Jesus? Why didn't you stop this, Jesus? Y'all are quiet today, and that's all right. Listen, I don't have no reverse cards today. These two sisters aren't just anybody. You can't just read your Bible. You have to read your Bible. They love Jesus and Jesus loves them. And Jesus and his disciples are there in the area and they're doing ministry in the countryside. Let me lay this out for you. The religious leaders, they want to kill Jesus. Oh man, they want to kill him something bad. And, and, and everybody gets the word that Lazarus is sick. So he's so sick that his sisters send someone to fetch Jesus. Go get him, go get him, go get him. This is not a cold. He's sick. Go get Jesus, go get Jesus, go get him, go get him now. I mean, you don't have to be a medical expert to kind of get the heartbeat of this and the pressure that's going on inside these two sisters as they're trying to care for their brother who is dying. They've got no modern hospital. They've got no doctors to help them. They are in a desperate place. And Jesus keeps them waiting. The the Bible is specific to let us know that he keeps them waiting. I just, but I, it opens up and it says he loved them. In my mind, especially in a moment of grief and struggle and heartache, Jesus loving me and Jesus keeping me waiting. Don't go together. I completely understand why Mary and Martha would ask this question. Admit it. Admit it this morning right here with me in this room. Let's just admit it. 
Oftentimes, you feel the same way about Jesus. If he loves me. What's the biggest non-believer's excuse for not even entertaining the idea of thinking about God and Jesus and, oh, how can a loving God send people to hell? See, in our grief, in our struggle, in our lack of understanding, we can often feel that Jesus is silent. Have you ever done that? Come on, church. Have you ever prayed and Jesus was silent? Have you ever struggled in the silence, amen, of, of feeling like God hasn't responded? And we begin to wonder, God, are you there? God, do you care? Why is this happening? Will I ever be okay? This is what I love about the Bible because it is so honest. There's no apologies. It's so raw. It's so honest. And it's so pure in that. And all throughout the scripture, what it does is it introduces us to people who wrestle with this question. From beginning to end. Wrestling with this question. Where are you, God? Why aren't you doing it my way? Why aren't you moving the way I think you should? This doesn't make sense. If you don't believe me, just spend some time in the book of Psalms. There's 150 of them. 40 of them are filled, are literally filled with questions and complaining. Absolutely they are. Over 40 of the Psalms are filled with questions. I mean, like, if you had anything to hide, you wouldn't put that stuff in there. God has nothing to hide. He understands that life is real and that we all get in this point. That's why he steps in. That's why he takes on flesh. That's why against all odds, God shows up and does what only God can do. I believe that these two sisters are the perfect picture of the human experience. We grieve. We feel alone. We want relief. And so what do we do? We cry out, where are you, God? Some of you are here today. You're in the middle of that cry. Yeah. Come on. You, you heard me last, year, or last week say John's screaming at us. And you're like, yeah, I've been screaming at God too. Where are you? Why is God making you wait? If you feel like God is silent. Come on, we're in a very real place. The man who discipled me, many of you have met him, Pastor Rick, I talk about him a lot. Like, he has an incredible ability to teach you how to hear from God. And he, he challenged me as a young man of God. He said, Don, do two things with people. Teach them where their treasure is, because where their treasure is, their heart will be there. Your treasure is in Jesus. And teach them how to pray. Do those two things, and relationship will keep people. It's been a lifelong commitment for me to focus on those particular things, right? To, to teach people where their treasures, love Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. You'll never stray from him. And, 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 and pray, speak to Jesus, talk to him, understand he wants to talk to you. But listen, I, I've experienced times of silence from God too. But it, it, it shocked me a couple of years ago. Because Pastor Rick had, had taught me and given me this ability to learn to hear from God. Even when I think God's not speaking, he was speaking. But when Camden died, God fell silent. And it was odd for me. When I read the scripture, God didn't seem to speak. When I prayed, I didn't seem to hear God. And, and I felt a little lost. And I was like, God, I, I still have to preach. I still have to lead. And, and my grandson died. But you're not speaking to me. What is happening here? Why can't I hear you? What's going on in my heart? Am I mad at you, God? If I am, I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what's going on. I can't hear from you. And weeks went. 
And I would write sermons and, and those particular things and fine, but I, I, I just didn't feel like I was healing from God. And, and one day Rosa Chup walked up. Y'all know Rosa? She will read your book. She walked right up to me. I hadn't said this to a soul. And she said, God told me that you've been complaining about not being able to hear from him. I mean, I about fell out of my shoes. I said, oh, Miss Rosa, just pray for me. Like, I'm, I'm confident God is speaking, but I can't hear from him right now. I'm not hearing him. And I'm just telling you that little converted Amish woman, whatever. She, I don't have a clue what Rosa Chup is. But I'm just telling you, if she late and she late and she starts praying and probably you're just done. You might as well just go, okay, amen. She's got her mom in her in that way. And y'all don't know Miss Rachel. Miss Rachel used to wear a little covering. She would come up front in her dress, this little old Amish woman. She would grab a hold of Doug during worship, and they would do dance and dance and dance and dance. Rosa laid hands on me, and she said, Even when God is silent, He's still speaking. And she said, you have asked a particular question. Where are you, God? (laughs) And God doesn't have the ability to answer that. Because he's here. He's never left you nor forsaken you. He will be with you. He has been with you. And he is still with you. She just began to prophesy. He is here. He is here. He is speaking. Lord, where are you? I am here. See, the desperate person cries out because grief blinds us. We want answers that make sense to our mind. Mary and Martha wanted answers, but Jesus responds in two different ways. He responds with promise and with presence. Watch this. He steps in to give us both. Oh, y'all not ready. Y'all not ready. Come on. Jesus starts with promise. I love this. Verse 25. You got you to watch this. He says, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I, and, and then he asks his own question. Like, do you believe this? He, 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 I mean, Jesus often answers our question. Don't you hate when people do that? Answer your question with another question. He speaks truth and he gives her hope. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, he, even if you're dead, you're going to live. Notice, see, he isn't just saying there is a resurrection. He's saying, I am the resurrection. He's not just saying it's possible. He's saying it's here. I'm here. Here, This is the promise of God. He's making it very clear at this moment that he is God. He is God. He's offering hope by promising eternal life right here in this moment, right? And he's saying he's Lord over everything. He's Lord over suffering. He's Lord over pain. He's Lord over even death. And he says because of who he is, he's actually the reason for hope even in the face of death. Because Jesus steps in, death and pain will not get the last word. That's right. I, I'm going to just give you PD's definition of grief. It, Webster's probably has a different one, but I often find that Webster's doesn't live in my world. To me, grief is about coming to terms with the fact that life will never be the same. Coming to terms with the fact that life will never be the same. And being okay that God is Lord of that. God is Lord of that. God is Lord over the fact that life will never be the same. His sovereignty didn't end just because life's different. 
His ability to be God didn't change just because something took a different turn than I thought that made sense to me. We believe that it'll never get better. In those moments of grief, Jesus reminds us that those things, that we, when that happens to us, we're prone to believe a lie. And that is that Jesus doesn't care, that he doesn't come, that he's not with us, amen, that he's not here. But see, Christmas gives us his name that cannot be denied, Emmanuel, God with us. And he's telling Martha, do you forgot I'm Emmanuel? Look at me. The resurrection isn't some other place for some other time. It's standing in front of you. Stop believing the lie. That's why he said, do you believe this? You're believing a lie. That's what he says. They said, hey, Jesus, if you had been here, PD's translation is, where were you? And Jesus' statement to them, do you believe this, is stop believing a lie. You're believing a lie. That's why you're mixed up. That's why grief has overcome you. See, that's why your grief makes you feel hopeless. It makes you view your pain through the lens of finality. That's why Jesus has to talk eternally. Church, it's so good. What, what Jesus is telling Martha is, if you believe in me, it's not the end of the story. Yeah, and what Jesus is telling us about Christmas comes to say, hey, it's not the end. Come on, church, it's not the end. It's the most important question Jesus has ever asked. Do you believe me? If you don't know the answer to that this morning, please don't leave until you do. But if you're here and you know the answer to this question, it has implications. The biggest of which... Is that his love story is a guarantee that our grief doesn't end our story. Come on, church. Pain and death don't get the last word. Are you with me? Revelation teaches us that one day Jesus returns and he'll wipe away every tear. No tears in heaven's fair. Y'all don't know those old hymns. I can't, I'm not going to do it because... I'll stick to preaching. I'll let these guys stick to singing. See, when you know how the story ends, it changes the way you experience the situation. Come on, come on. Come on, church. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Death, death is swallowed up in victory. That the grave doesn't have a sting anymore. I don't have time to read your Bible to you. Jesus is declaring his deity. And I love this by saying he's the resurrection and the life. By saying that both life and eternity will come through him. Oh, come on. You, you guys got some shows you like to watch? Oh, yeah, you do. I, I ain't going to lie. Sometimes I, when my wife and I eat lunch on Sundays and we've DVR'd some shows and we sit down and we'll watch some shows together on a Sunday afternoon. Just, they're all the same. Sure they are. They're, they're all the same. You got a plot line. You got a hero. And the story puts the hero in tension with the plot line. And the story initially takes you down the road that the hero might not survive. And you're caught. You're like in it. Oh, how are they going to do it? How are they going to get out of this? How? They're not. Oh man, are they, they, they might not survive this one. It might be the end. This could be in. I got six seasons yet to go, but it's season two. It's all going to be over because they're going to. And then you realize they can't kill the hero. They can't die. And all of a sudden, even though you're watching a story you've never seen, you know the outcome is ultimately what? The hero wins. I mean, unless you're a Walking Dead fan and then everybody dies, but. They were like, oh. That's what shows do. They put the hero in tension to make you believe for a moment in time that the outcome is different than it is actually going to be. That's why you watch. 
church, come on, church, come on, church, come on, church. See, this is what happens to us in life, right? It's, it's when you realize, it, when you realize that the hero's not going to die, you realize that's not going to happen. It changes. It doesn't change what's happening. It just changes the way you experience it. Oh, MacGyver's going to pull the duct tape out of his pocket. Yes. <laughs> duct tape fixes everything, and if it doesn't fix everything, just use more. It changes the way you experience. The tension is still there. But the comfort from, comes from knowing how the story is actually going. This is what Jesus was saying to Mary and Martha. He's saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. You see death. You see finality. You see the end. But I need you to understand that when I came, born as a baby in a manger, I'm God who put on flesh. And I didn't change my name. I'm still Emmanuel standing in front of you. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, I'm the end of the story. <laughs> Grief says, Jesus is not enough. <laughs> Hope doesn't dismiss grief. Hope is the answer. It, it, it's, we got to be reminded, Jesus is stepping into Martha and Mary's world here. He's stepping into and he's offering, Martha in particular, at the first part, a promise with truth and hope. But sometimes we need more than promise. Come on, come on. I'm with you. Sometimes we need more than the promise. We, we, we need his presence. And watch. And that's where Mary comes along there in verse 32, where she comes behind Martha. Martha, Martha says, where were you, Jesus? And he gives her his promise. I'm the resurrection and the life. Mary shows up and she says, where were are you Jesus and now he says I'm here my presence oh, it's so good I'm a Bible student but I have to admit that in it, it, there's a part of me that's confused by Jesus' tears here in um, verse 32 now when Mary came to Jesus and, and she saw she fell at his feet said to him Lord if you had been here my brother wouldn't have died but Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping and he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled and he said where have you laid him and they said to him Lord come and see in verse 35 Jesus wept does it why is he crying he knows what he's about to do You don't read your Bible like I do. He knows he's about to violate them all. Roll that stone away. What? <laughs> and he's going to speak Lazarus' name. And Lazarus is going to hop out of there. He knows that's about to happen. He's God in the flesh. He knows. God knows. He knows what's about to happen. But there we find him in the scripture weeping. Grief. Jesus wept because he loved Lazarus. He wept because he loved Mary. He wept because he grieves death. Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saint. This is not the way things are supposed to be. Christmas is a season that reminds us that Jesus is stepping in because this is not how things are supposed to be. Last Christmas, this is not at all what we imagined this year would be. Jesus weeps so we'll know he cares. Jesus weeps so we'll understand that he feels our pain. Jesus weeps so we will come to know that he is stepping in with us. You have those close friends that weep with you? You got no closer friend. You know, sometimes sitting with people who are in grief isn't about having an answer. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is embrace them and cry with them. I remember when my daughter looked at me and said, God, we've, Dad, we've been obedient. 
We've done everything God asked us to do. Why would he take my baby boy? I don't know. It's just, we just held each other in her basement and we just cried. I don't know. Why? Why? Why would a little Olivia? I don't know. Sometimes all you can do is sit with people and just embrace them. This small time of suffering compared to what Jesus can do for our life and in our life is nothing. That's why Christmas is important because sometimes promises aren't enough. We need His presence. Being born, stepping into our world is His way of saying, I keep my promise with my presence. I put it up there because you need to remember that. We have a Savior who at Christmas steps in and fills our pain and weeps with us. And often we preach the Christian faith something like this. Faith will take away your pain. Just have enough faith and it will take away your discouragement. If you just have enough faith. If you just have enough faith. Did Paul not have enough faith? You ever read the suffering of Paul that he writes about? Man, if Paul had just had more faith. Here's the truth. It's Christmas. Against all odds, he steps in. He steps into our pain. He steps into our grief. He steps into it by meeting us in our fear. And he invites us to bring our tears to him. And he cries with us. It's a beautiful picture of who God is. All of the religions in the world will give you a God to worship. But only Christianity gives you a God who will weep with you. And if you're in a season of grief, you need to know Jesus doesn't condemn you. Against all odds, he wants to step in and join you. His weeping shows us that grief isn't a sign of weakness or immaturity. It's a mark of love. It's a mark of loss. And his tears, the tears of the Lord Jesus Christ, his tears are an affirmation of ours. Come on, church. It doesn't take away our pain. Instead, it affirms and validates it. Grief leaves us in a place, a place of wondering, how can I trust God? But John 11, 35 shows us just how. By understanding that he has come to step in. You need to let this Christmas message give you confidence today. It can, bring, it, 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 it can bring your grief to a place where you understand God's not scared of us. That's the testimony of the Gandhis. God is not scared of our questions. He's not scared of our grief. And grief has nothing to do with doubt. It has everything with coming to a sense to go, okay, life's never going to be the same. But God will be. Sometimes as Christians, we are prone to move into hope so fast. You know what we want to do? We want to put a bow on everything. We put the Christmas tree up at my house the other day. You know what my wife said? Should we put a bow on it? No, I just put the ladder up. I don't, I'm not bringing it. No. Should we put a bow on it? That's what we're going to do. We're going to put a bow on everything. A couple years ago, I surprised my wife with a little puppy. And, and some of you know, you've seen Fiona or whatever, and, and those kind of things or whatever. Joe and Tanya brought her to our house with a little bow on her. She had a little purple bow. You remember the purple bow? Like they were late getting to our house because Tanya had to go find a purple bow to put on the dog. <laughs> we want to put a bow on everything. Why? Because it makes us feel better. We're going to find a silver lining. 
And so we say things like this. Oh, it's just, we just got to learn to trust Jesus. We just say things like this. Oh, God has a plan. God's still on the throne. All those are glorious truths. Somebody say amen. Oh my gosh. Yes, look at this. Those are glorious truth. And that's why all those things are important to remember, especially when we're in pain, that they are truth. We do need to trust Jesus. God does have a plan. And God is still sitting on the throne. All those things are important. That's why in the midst of our grief, Jesus wants us to understand. He brings us promise and presence. He gives us both. All right, quickly as I close, let me get back to this story. Because it's a good story. I bet you didn't know it was a Christmas story. Jesus goes to the tomb. And I love this. You, you just need to read the Gospels sometimes and just pay attention to the things Jesus does on purpose. He did that on purpose. You know, Bo McMillan, I don't know if you know him very well. He, he didn't talk very much and those type of things. But I, I hung out with Bo a little bit. And, and Bo has this incredible ability to push a button and walk away. And you can't see him laughing because he's walking away from you. And this minute you stand and you go, he did that on purpose. It's hilarious when you realize it. Watch what Jesus does. He says, roll away that stone. Wait. Wait. Maybe we need to explain some stuff to you, Jesus. He'd been dead four days, not three, four days. We need you to understand maybe you've not been around. People can't even have a decent funeral around you, Jesus. Maybe you ain't been around a person who'd been dead four days. Let's explain what's about to happen here. He gonna stink. That's PD translation. And verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Jesus, you can't, you can't, you can't roll that stone back. He's going to stink, Jesus. Humanly, everything is decomposing. You've got to understand what happens, Jesus, when things decompose. See, she's worried about decomposition, and Jesus is trying to reveal the glory of recomposition. It's a picture of how God works against all odds. He's stepping in. He's turning around. He's reversing. Oh, there it is. Where's my cards? He's reversing the curse of death right in front of them. The suffering that's happening, everything is getting reversed. All their grief is turning into something different. They thought it was all over with. And this is what Jesus does when he touches us. What we expect is pain and ugliness of death. Amen. We forget that God's working behind the scenes. You don't know what I've done behind that rock. You just think you know what's behind that rock. But if you'll roll that thing out of the way, I'll show you the glory of God. I'll show you what I've come to do so much so that even the stench of death cannot overcome the glory of God when the presence of Jesus is around someone told me one time hey Pastor Don well you know in time you'll get over the death of Camden you know what I love people I don't want to get over it I don't believe that the Lord wants me to get over it. I want to live in the change God is using because of it. If I just want to get over it, I'm going to stay mad at Jesus because all I'm going to think is I would have to get over this if he'd have just been... I don't want to get over it. But it will not paralyze me or debilitate me. Come on, church. Because his promise is that his presence will walk with me. Sometimes, there are times when he doesn't roll away a stone. He, and we will never fully understand that this side of heaven. I get it. But this passage assures us that... He, 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 
when he doesn't roll back the stone, even that cannot overcome his glory. Listen, perspective is everything. If you forget anything I've said this morning, please don't forget that. Perspective is everything. Laying in a hospital room next to a person who is moaning and crying out in pain because of the last moments of their life is not pretty. heartbreaking but laying in that same hospital bed next to a woman who is moaning and crying in pain because of labor is totally different I listen I remember my wife was in when Melinda had uh, uh, Kaylin uh, and my son and I stood right outside the door and I rem- you know you can hello somebody and, you know, T wasn't as big as he is now, and he's, uh, yeah, 14 or something like that or whatever. And, and, of course, you know, there was, they were experiencing some stuff in that room. And you could hear it outside, hello, somebody. And I remember the look on TC's face. I was like, that's funny. He was like, dude. <laughs> Perspective is everything. Why is it different? Why? Because pain is temporary. It brings life. The pain that brings death is final. What if your grief, what if your pain, what if your suffering are life birth pains? And not the cries of dying. Suffering in this life is real. Somebody say amen. amen. But the next life is forever. Amen. Interesting to me that the only way Jesus could stop the funeral of Lazarus, because that's what's happening here. It's, it's four days in. They're still having a funeral. The mourners are there. All this, You just got to understand the culture. And Jesus has come to Lazarus' tomb to stop this funeral. And you know how he does it? By announcing his own. Verse 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. This event where Jesus conquers death is going to lead to his own death. Eight, eight, chapters, eight chapters later, we're reading about his crucifixion. Jesus doesn't just step into our pain. He takes it fully onto himself. This is what Advent reminds us of. You are not really alone. Jesus steps in. He understands. He comes to do it too. He comes to do it also. Come on, church. Against all odds, the same arms that reached out to embrace Mary and Martha and Lazarus would soon be stretched out on the cross. He doesn't want to leave us guessing about his goodness. Jesus never wants to leave us guessing about his grace or his mercy or his love. Instead, he demonstrates it by coming, by being born, living as a man, and dying on the cross, church. Don't get it twisted at Christmas. Against all odds, he steps in. It's so good. I just... I may never know what all the answers are. You can read this story about the Gagnés again, and I hope you do, over and over and over and over and over again. And you can have your own questions, and that's okay. I don't know all the answers. I don't. But because of Christmas, I know what they aren't. 
When the young guys in my discipleship class or the guys that I'm trying to teach to lead and walk with the Lord, when they come to me and say, I don't know what to do, you know what I say to them? Well, we know what to do. Let's do what we know. We know how to pray. We know how to read the word. We know how to worship. Let's don't be paralyzed by not knowing what to do. Let's do what we know. And watch God do what he does in those moments. I may not have all the answers. I can't tell you why my three-year-old grandson died. And neither can the doctors. I can't tell you why God chose to create Olivia the way he chose to create Olivia. I cannot do that. I know what the answers aren't. They aren't that God was distant. Oh, y'all not, no, he stepped in. Uh, he stepped in. Come on, church. Uh, they, aren't, they aren't that he doesn't care. No, he wept. He came and met us with his presence. The answers aren't that he doesn't love us. No, he died to prove how much he loved me. They aren't that he isn't powerful. No, he rose again because he is the resurrection and the life. I know what the answers aren't. And against all odds, when he steps in, Christmas demonstrates to me that God will never leave us nor forsake us. That Jesus isn't offering us an answer to all our questions. Instead, he tells us he is the answer. Christmas. Advent. Come on, they're one and the same. I don't want you to be confused about the words. As a faith person... We can't let Christmas be robbed by materialism. That's why we say Advent. Because I'm waiting for something. I'm anticipating something. The Advent of Christ. It's still Christmas, right? But Christmas, Advent, it's a proof that it'll meet you in your grief today. Come on, church. So I'm going to ask you what I asked you in the beginning. Where do you need Jesus to step into your grief? Where have you been living in this question? Maybe bitter at God. Refusing to move on. Because you've been living with this thought. Where were you, Jesus? If you had only been here, Jesus... And you can't see God for who he really is. Because you see the answers as something other than his promise fulfilled by his presence. You see the answer in the end of suffering. Come on, church. And every person in this room, we've experienced grief in some way. We have grieved. Maybe we are grieving or we will grieve. And I need you to understand something this morning, especially during this Christmas season. Jesus is not unfamiliar with your grief. You see, people who are unfamiliar with your grief don't have the ability to cry with you. Oh, I'm sorry about your luck. Boy, that was bad. I'm sorry that happened to you. But those who are familiar with your grief, your pain and your suffering... As soon as you start to talk about it and tears well up in your eyes, tears well in theirs too. I was talking to a young lady on the phone the other day and she's just overcome with grief. And I, and I know her. I've known her for a long time. And, and she began to cry so hysterically she couldn't talk. You ever, you ever been there? Where you can't take a breath and you, you start to hyperventilate. And, and I felt the Spirit of God just and I began to cry also on the phone. And I'm just like, oh, don't cry. Let's pray. You see, Jesus wants you to know that when you cry in your prayer time, He's crying with you. And when you're experiencing loss, He's losing with you so that you understand that the life of who he is has come to be the answer for grief 
If you live in that grief, you'll never experience the power of the resurrection. Instead, you know what I want to do? I want to stand at the tomb of my grief. And I want to hear Jesus say, I don't care about the stink. I don't care what you think. Roll it back and wash the glory of God. Come on, God's got some glory for you today. Stand up for me. Come on, stand with me. God's got some glory for you today. If you want to come to this altar and you want to lay some grief down, you want to believe that Jesus will meet you, the altar is open. Someone will come and pray with you. If you just want to stand in the presence of God and let his promise be assured in your life,